I will never forget in 1990, we played Argentina. And I was sitting in the bus, the row behind my big hero, one of my big heroes, Diego Maradona. He was a star, of course, worldwide with his skills, which was, uh, yeah, exceptional. And he was also a kind of entertainer. And when we started the transfer from the airport to the hotel, he was the one, you know, sitting in the first row, having the microphone, telling jokes, singing songs, and in a very easy and smart way so that you could feel that the whole team they belonged together and Diego was their their uh, their hero. And this was amazing. And then, of course, as soon as he left the bus, you cannot imagine, even in small Austria and small, uh, nice Vienna, there were so many people from, I think, around the globe waiting there, uh, singing and shouting in the hotel. The, 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 the hall was totally crowded. You know, we needed security and things like that. I was thinking it's it's it must be nice to be a, a hero. But at the end, you know, there are always upsides and downsides. And he was driven, you know, by all the others. He was he was hunted. He was uh, he was really a superstar. But I think it was not easy. Hello and welcome to the Ronnie Lever Show, where every week we bring you fascinating guests with inspiring stories of success and overcoming obstacles from the world of sports, business and entertainment. To support this channel, please subscribe, turn on the notification bell and hit the like button so that we can deliver you the best content possible. He started his professional career in soccer in the Austrian Soccer Federation. After 16 years, he transitioned to becoming the head project manager for the UEFA Champions League, being ultimately responsible for the organization of the Champions League finals. He was the head of the Austrian Bundesliga, as well as for the Union of the European Football Leagues. He's working in several functions in the worlds of soccer and brings his knowledge to the next generation and recently even published his first book, which I have right here. I'm happy to have him on the show. Please welcome. Here is Georg Pange. Woo! Hi, together. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to have you on the show. And when you're listening to your introduction, to all your accolades that you've achieved over the years, what comes to mind to you? That I'm getting old. No, to be serious. Um, I've had the privilege uh, to serve, let me say, to serve for 35 years in international football or soccer. And I started with 20 and... Uh, the, the funny thing that I've always been called by all those institutions I've been working for, I've been called. And unfortunately, the book is, for the moment, it's just in German. But uh, together with you, Ronnie, we are going to explain to the audience uh, how it uh, did come and how this can function that uh, a boy with 20 years old who doesn't know anybody from somewhere far in the countryside is being called from the Austin FA and later on, UEFA Champions League and what you said before. So I think it's uh, fun enough to discuss it a little bit. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really eager to dive in all the secrets and everything. Just before we start out here, you said when you were 20, you, you started out on this incredible journey. What was it that you actually wanted to become as a kid? To be honest, as a kid, I thought, you know, I'm living in a small village with about 800 inhabitants. And there was the plan let's say 40 years ago, to have a small bank. And my dream was to, be, to become a banker in this small institute in our small village. But then, uh, thanks God, I'm really grateful. Uh, uh, then the, 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 the direction has changed and I, I could spend really 35 marvelous years with every single moment 
which was unique in, in, in soccer, in football. And I've enjoyed it. It was very difficult sometimes. It was challenging. There was a, a, a heavy workload on my shoulders and I have a heavy weights. But at the end, I made so many friends like you, Ronnie, and many, many others from all around the world that I still feel uh, very privileged uh, to have done this journey. Wow, uh, incredible. So let, let's jump right into it. You already mentioned you were 20 years old. Um, you actually were just at the time working for one year at a forwarding agency or like an expedition agency and you were there um, and, and suddenly you got a call from the Austrian FA, like from the Austrian Soccer Federation without knowing anybody. Tell us, how does that work? Exactly. You are so right, Ronnie. Uh, and uh, once a day I, I, I picked up the phone and there was a guy from the Austrian FA on the other end of the, of the line and said, yeah, hello, Mr. Pangli, would you like to work with the Austrian Football Association? And I told him, you know, uh, sir, I think you—it's the wrong number. You can, you can, uh, you can go for a for a truck for a, whatever you need from Sweden. I was responsible for Sweden, you know, imports Sweden, and and I, I put I put the, uh, back the, the the phone. He called again, I said, Mr. Pangli, please please stay in line. I wanted to ask you again: Are you interested to work with us in the Austrian Football Association? And I was convinced that I was mixed up with someone. It was the wrong, the wrong number, the wrong person, whatever. Then we met and they said, yeah, no, no, we wanted to meet you, Mr. Pangi. Fine. Uh, let, let's go for a trial. And then I said, you know, allow me one question. Why did you call me? I didn't know you. I just know you, knew you from the newspapers. And then I said, yeah, okay, it's a long story. And during the recruiting process, uh, they didn't find the right person, you know. And then... One of the colleagues there, a coach, he was many years ago, he was uh, acting as a teacher in my school. It was a, a commercial school. And then he called and he asked the director of the school, is there anybody who was playing football and who is interested in football and who was probably, how do you say in English, class speaker, you know? And, uh, and then my director said, yeah, there's just one in our school. This is George, but he's working now with the forwarding agent. And so the first circle closed and uh, it was like a, like a script, uh, like in a movie, you, you, cannot, you can't do it better. But you always had a passion for soccer, right? Of course, when I when I was uh, when I could read the newspaper with about six years old, I started, you know, reading sports and football, and then I started to play my myself. I was not that privileged with my talent, but I I liked to play and I had a, a good time until I was 35. And yeah, as you said, there was a big passion, and then suddenly being, you know, involved in uh, the, the first time it was the under 16, under 18 national teams. We took part in the World Cup in Egypt. We, play, we played uh, that time. We played USA. We lost 4-0. Uh, but it was so, so funny and exciting to me, uh, you know, playing as an amateur, but then being in the, in the whole uh, business, being active. It was unique, to be honest, yeah. So you already started a bit, like you started out in the, in the youth sector, but what were your tasks back then? Like besides taking care of youth teams? I was the administrator uh, of uh, the the academies, let's say. You know, there are Austrian-wide academies with the clubs, and uh, we were responsible for the program, for the coaches. Uh, uh, this was one part. Then there were committees, as everywhere in football. It's it's in FIFA, there are committees, and it's in the Austrian FA, like in all the other FAs, there are committees. And you have to deal with, uh, with topics. You have... Uh, 
this was my experience of quite old and old-fashioned and old-thinking people. You have to discuss about this, uh, this interesting sport. So it takes always a while to convince those, let's say, uh, powerful people. But it's, it's everywhere the same. And uh, this was uh, on top with the altogether three youth teams, under 15, under 16, under 18. And then also with the, with the national team, when we had a home game with the Austrian national team at senior level, I was always responsible for the guests. So I, I will never forget in 1990, we played Argentina. And I was sitting in the bus, the row behind my big hero, one of my big heroes, Diego Maradona. I was in the same hotel. I was having a, a breakfast, a lunch and dinner with them. I was at the training. I was uh, close to them with my interpreter at that time. It was the same with AC Milan during the, champ during the Champions League final in, in 1989 and 19. Uh, 95. So there were so many unbelievable uh, experiences and uh, was, 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 let's stay, let's stay at this for a second, because uh, I want to pick out two of those experiences because uh, of course I read about them in your book. So uh, you, you mentioned Diego Maradona and of course everybody in the world of, of sports and soccer knows who, who Diego is or was. And you also were writing about an episode with him that he really put on quite a show. Yeah, he was he was a star, of course, worldwide with his skills, which was uh, yeah exceptional, and he was also a kind of entertainer. And when we started the transfer from the airport to the hotel, he was the one, you know, sitting in the first row, having the microphone, telling jokes, singing songs, and in a very easy and smart way, so that you could feel that the whole team they belonged together, and Diego was their their uh, their hero, and this was amazing. And then, of course. Uh, it was it was like how can I say it was like a family because as soon as he left the bus, you cannot imagine even in small Austria and small uh, nice Vienna, there were so many people from I think around the globe waiting there, uh, singing and shouting in the hotel. The the, the 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 hall was totally crowded. You know we needed security and things like that. So, and that time already, I, I was thinking it's it's it must be nice to be a, a hero. But at the end, you know, there are always upsides and downsides and uh he, he was somehow he was let's say we say in germany he was driven you know by all the others he was he was hunted he was uh he was really a superstar but i think it was not easy and uh, we we all know about his his uh, further life and uh, what he has been obviously suffering like uh we we, we didn't uh, we didn't want him to do so but uh was was a unique experience Wow, I can imagine. And um, wow, really, really nice experience. Another experience, you already mentioned the security and so on. And you mentioned AC Milan. And, and one of the things that I actually read, which was quite surprising to me, that one once you actually had to go as a double for, uh, for Silvio Berlusconi, who was at the time not only the president of AC Milan, but also the prime minister in Italy. How did that come along? Exactly. So there was the final in a, in a nice hotel in the city uh, in Vienna. And, you know, there were a lot of meetings with the police and how to, to choose the, uh, you know, the way to go to the stadium. And, uh, for the Champions how... League final. Exactly. For the Champions League final. You're right. And then, of course, when, when Mr. Berlusconi arrived, there were a lot of uh, security precautions and things like that. And then a very last minute decision from the local police was just to be really on the safe side in case of any whatever attack might be uh, they decided you know it was it was hidden so people couldn't see me 
but I was I was asked to play the double of Mr. Berlusconi together with my with my with the interpreter again. Uh, I think he was he was uh, doing it for for uh, the vice president Galliano that time, and while we were entering the limousine, in the back in the back door, Mr. Berlusconi. You know, very easily he took uh, he took another car and he went uh, through the city without being uh, recognized. And we went together with the bus, you know, with police and blue light and so it was a a big show. And I was I was playing the double of Berlusconi. And suddenly, you know, we were driving that fast so that the big Mercedes car was was jumping. And then uh, we touched somehow um, was it a stone or however you say? And then it was a big crash. And I thought there was a bomb attack. And I thought now I'm I'm dead and I will I will wake up in heaven but thanks God it was not the case it was just <laughs> a nice experience again well then you actually met him personally right yeah and then when uh, when they really won the, the final he entered the bus you know the the team bus and the, the team bus of course with the families with the wives and friends was was crowded and I was in the very first row behind the driver with the interpreter and he entered the bus and it was like uh, he he appeared and you know he recognized me. I shaked his hand, said, Ciao, uh, buongiorno. So, you know, there's no need to say hello to me because I was nobody there. There were so many important people and sponsors and, and players. But, you know, he had the, 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 the feeling to shake your hands. And that's why at that time, to be honest, I was really impressed by him. He was a, a, an unbelievable, great and impressive personality. Having dealt with so many incredible personalities throughout your career, first of all, did there ever come a moment when you were starstruck in a way when you were like, oh, my God, like, I cannot believe that I'm really there with this person on the one hand? And what was your experience having dealt with all those kinds of personalities? Because oftentimes it's when you actually meet the great ones is that they're human. They're just normal like everybody else. Or, or how was your experience? Exactly. And as you showed before my book, so the title is uh, uh, My Theater of Dreams. So my life still is now, although I'm, I'm uh, having my own agency, but with my wife, with my kids, with my Labrador dog, my life is still a dream. And that time in, in, in football, it was it was really a dream in football. And, uh, you know, when, when having dealt, as you said, with so many personalities, uh, uh, the, the most interesting experience for me was that the real and the great personalities, they are much easier than the so-called C category of personalities. So that's that's what I experienced. The real great ones, they are easy and like you and me. And this was the, the most fascinating. And this is where I took uh, a lot from my life, you know, just to be easy. I'm not a great personality, but uh, I learned to be easy, to be, you know, to, to stay with both uh, with both feet on, on the ground and to be to be just humble and, and, and friendly. And that's what what I, I experienced for my lifetime. Would that also be your advice for somebody who wants to learn how to deal with high profile people? Just uh, stay authentic, be as you are, ask questions. Don't don't think too much. Which question could I ask? No. Do it as you feel, and and uh, yeah, I would I would say rely on your feeling. That's most important. And if if the person is 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 uh, is a great one, most of them they are. Then you will see it's a very easy communication. So don't think too much. And I think especially in America and and uh, in the Americas, people are very easy compared to to Austria and Europe. So uh, I think that's that's ongoing in in the in the US, for example. I want to bring up two more names actually before we before we transition then to the UEFA. Um, but in 1998, France became world champions. 
And the very first match after that was, luckily for Austria, it was in Vienna because there was a match that was already promised before they became world champion. So it was really, really nice. And you had the privilege of picking up Zinedine Zidane as well as Didier Duchamp at the airport. And that was quite a ride, wasn't it? Exactly. You know, they were playing that time with uh, Juventus. So they arrived by private plane, of course. And I, I've had, again, as every, every to-do was a privilege, I picked them up from the airport. And as we said before, they were so easygoing. You know, no problem at all. And, uh, and then I drove the car personally uh, to the hotel. And then there was, uh, uh, the, I had to stop in front of red light and behind our car. And I had a branded car from, from the Austin FA sponsor, car sponsor. And obviously there was a, 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 a moped, Motorola driver. And obviously he could somehow realize or recognize that there were two great personalities in my car. And obviously he was so fascinated that he forgot to stop. So we had a, a, a light crash. And immediately the two superstars, they left the car. They took care about the, the, the driver. Thanks God he was he was not injured and nothing. But uh, I thought to myself, I said to myself, he, you know, he was uh, opening his eyes and there were Zidane and Deschamps, you know, asking him if he's fine. Uh, so he probably he also was thinking that he's in heaven now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these are really these these priceless experiences. And uh, thanks God, I was convinced by a good friend to write the book. I was never thinking to do so. And uh, yeah, some of those stories are now for eternity in my book. <laughs> Did anybody else around you like realize about the two people here, like about Zidane and Deschamps? Uh, yeah, of course, there were there were a lot of people then because the, the, the traffic had to stop and then, but it was, everything was easy going and they were really behaving like you and me and just being helpful and uh, supportive to the to the guy was, was amazing. Yeah. And then uh, we entered the car, the police was here, but nothing has happened. And then we left to the hotel and uh, yeah, it's a nice story. <laughs> Wow, beautiful. And then you came from the Austrian FA and just for, I mean, there are people in the world that don't even know where Austria is, is and Austria is in the heart of Europe, a very small country in a way, but also powerful and in, 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 in its own way and very well connected. And so from the small Austrian, first of all, from the small village to the, let's say, um, rather small in international comparison, Austrian FA, you came to the UEFA, which is basically the FIFA for Europe. So it's the European um, Football Association, and this is really powerful. Tell us how this first came along, because first you actually started as a venue director for Champions League matches, correct? And, and what is the venue director? Exactly, and the reason why I was asked to act as a venue director was because I was doing the job of a tournament director of the under-16 European final championships the final round in Austria. So we had a nice tournament, a lot of spectators. We had TV coverage, a lot of sponsors. I was and at we... the final, actually. Sorry? I was at the final. Really? Very yeah. good. So, yeah. And then uh, I was asked by UEFA, as you said, the governing body of European football, to, to go for a report. And, you know, the, the question was, should I go for a one-pager or no, I did it my way. I made a big, big uh, report, you know, with uh, endless pages explaining everything, why we were so successful. And then some days later, I received a call from Team Marketing. Team Marketing was the agency for Champions League of UEFA. And they invited me for a hearing to Amsterdam to 
to the Hotel Okura, one of the best hotels uh, on the rooftop bar. There was another guy from Poland, and I, I didn't realize that it was a, a, a knockout hearing, you know, either he or me. And uh, obviously, my English was a little bit better than his, and I, I'm still in contact with the guy, Kazimir Oleszek, he was called. And then I was, I was uh, in between, I was in the middle of Champions League as a venue director. As you said before, this is uh, the guy who was working for the Austrian FA. Exactly. It was just part time. Uh, I took some days off and then I was I was invited always at that time. It was uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. The first uh, destination was uh, Istanbul with Galatasaray. So I had to do the job there, flying there on Monday morning, coming back on, on, on Thursday. And then, as I said, it was my vacation. But it was another experience, uh, priceless at the end of the day, to meet people, to see where we are in Champions League is one of the top products in football uh, globally, as we know. So this was amazing. And, uh, you know, with a, and, and I'm coming back to the easygoing persons with a very humble and easy approach to your team on site. Because as a venue director, you are the big boss. And I never, I'm never a big boss. I'm just a colleague, you know. And with this soft and humble approach to all the colleagues there, it was such a great and uh, priceless experience, uh, you know, to deliver at the highest possible level in Champions League. And this uh, lasted then for, for several years. And it was uh, every, single, every single time it was a, a great experience. Uh, one of the things that I read about that, because I think your first stop was Istanbul, as you just said, at the Ali Samiyan Stadium. And for everybody that knows the world of soccer or football, you know that this is really, it can be challenging sometimes, very emotional fans or supporters and also, um, well, and, and even I read in a book that normally you either get sent there to be tested or when they want to get rid of you. So you came there and you had your very own approach and it was a very different experience. Tell us about that. Exactly. As I said before, you know, um, for the first game, uh, I had a coach like everyone. And this coach was was an Englishman and he was he wasn't he didn't take care about translation. You know, he was speaking like he was speaking. And uh, and I realized that the very first match day when I had him on a co as a coach on board, I made my notes. And then uh, on the second match day, it was just I was there on my own and had, I had uh, all the responsibility. And then out of the learnings, it's always, you know, it's it's the personal relationship between the people you're working with, between the team and yourself. And when, when you are living as an example, whatever you are telling them, it's it's they do it. But just talking and then doing or thinking anything else, this, this doesn't work. And this was a, a priceless experience too. I was very close with the signage team, you know, there were these, these guys taking care about the pyramid boards and uh, all the signage in the stadium. And it's not, it's even not in the book mentioned, but I met them at, at breakfast the very first day. I didn't know them, they didn't know me, but I was going there. They had their shirts with Champions League. I said, hey, I'm George. And these were guys from Scotland, from England, from, from wherever, you know, with their tattoos. And uh, you were afraid if you looked at them, but uh, with this first action and then, uh, they said, oh, you are the venue director. Yes, I'm George. Uh, so if you want, we can meet in the evening for a, for a nice glass of whiskey. And, and they said, yes, George, you know, all you are talking and you never, you never stick to your promises. I said, why? So, of course, it was me then meeting the guys downtown, uh, paying uh, one or two glasses of whiskey. And since then, they, they went for me, let's say, through hell. Whatever I asked them, they did it for me, if it was dangerous or not. They were believing in me, and this is this is the the, the kind of, of of leader you have to be in a team. 
with the easy guys doing just the pyramids and also with the media guys and, and, and sponsoring the responsibles and so on. And this was really, uh, yeah, I just can repeat my words. Sorry for this, but uh, it was so, so great to, to experience this, to meet these people and to see what you could do even if, if you are empowered by someone. I was empowered by UEFA. But the stadium you know, director, the stadium director story, I, I think it's exactly, also very powerful. Exactly. You know, there was a difficult challenge for the stadium director to do. And as, as there was a very, uh, how can I say, a difficult situation with my predecessor there, there was a tension, you know, they, 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 they couldn't really work together because the guy didn't treat them uh, uh, very well. And then I, I asked the interpreter, Yeshim, could you, could you ask the stadium director if he has time for me? But Georg, you are the venue director. You are the boss. If you do like this, he has to come here. I said, no, no, Yeshin. Please ask him if I can come to his office. So he asked, yes, of course, anytime you want. Okay, so tell him I will be there at 11. Okay. Then we were drinking a, a chai. It was just a polite invitation. Then I said, Yeshin, please tell him that he's one of the, the best stadium directors I've ever met. She was looking at me and then she was translating. And then he asked why, and I said, you know, because it's such a, it's a historic stadium, but it's so, so uh, challenging. You have so many things to do, which are, which are not easy. And uh, if you could do me the favor, you know, to finish all your to-dos the day before the game is, is starting, then you wait for myself and all of us would be relaxed. And just to understand for the predecessor, they always fulfilled their tasks five minutes before kickoff. So the guy from England, he was he was nearly exploding because it didn't work. But with this with this meeting, I, I explained him the the process. The process he agreed, and since then we had a, a really we had a nice life. And every time when we met, he hugged me and kissed me. And uh, so it was it was like like father and son because there was a lot of respect, and appreciation to him and to his team. And this was another lovely story to experience. So that's what I wanted to say is that. Normally, you don't need power. You don't need to be powerful. If, if you have the right approach, then people, they will follow you. They will do it for you. And that's it. And that was, this was a, a very, very interesting experience for life. That's very beautiful. And, and it reminds me, actually, when Michael Jackson died, I saw a documentary. And, and it was also in the movie theaters. And there was a musician that they interviewed that was playing for him, obviously. And, and, and when he went there and he wanted to change something, he was... It's, going it's, to him like may i ask you something and, and and he was like of course i mean we're here for you like could you do this of course i can do whatever you want but it was really the way that you treat somebody else yeah. and then they will really go through fire for you exactly yeah yeah very beautiful so that was still part-time but when came the time when you actually transitioned from being like not anymore with the austrian fa and then really being full-time at the uefa there was a workshop uh, in Zurich, in, in Switzerland, and I have been asked by the responsible director of UEFA. It was uh, Jacob Arell, uh, the former general secretary of the Israeli NFA, and uh, we have met, I think, 20 years ago. And he said, Georg, you know, I know you for so many years or decades. Uh, I would like to see you on my team. And then I said, you know, it's so difficult. And uh, no, Georg, don't tell me. Uh, if it's difficult or not, just tell me when you will come. So at the end, uh, Jacob convinced me to join his team on a full-time basis. So that's why I moved uh, uh, from Austria to Switzerland. And uh, I did then the job of the regular season of Champions League. I did. I was the project manager of the final in uh, 2003 in Old Trafford, Theatre of Dreams. It's another link to my 
Brooks name. And that the, the year after it was South Schalke 2004 and also the Super Cup uh, finals in Monaco. And uh, so I was I was the responsible guy for Champions League and it was uh, it was amazing. You know, I was traveling today and it was Milan the day after it was Valencia. I took care about all these venue directors. I started once years ago as a venue director and then I was the head of them. So I was responsible for their coaching, for their education and so on. And uh, it was really interesting for two years to be there. And then I wanted to, to, to settle with my wife. I got married in 2004 and we wanted before to Before we go there, before we go there, let's, let's stay at those two years for a second before, yeah. before you come to the next. Because organizing a Champions League final, that is, Champions League final is a huge event. Like, give us maybe some, some, some numbers or some, something to understand and comprehend what it actually takes to organize a Champions League final? Uh, I would start with this, that more or less 20 years ago, we started with the first site visit, let's say 15 to 18 months before the final took place. We had the first meetings. And of course, you need a certain structure. You need domains. So we had several domains. We had domain leaders from the organizing club or uh, LOC, local organizing committee, and also uh, pendants from UEFA. And then you had a meeting, let's say every second, every third month. And for the, for the, let's say for the experience, of course, all these domain leaders were invited to see the, 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 the last Champions League final before they were on, on, on tour, you know? So as we started 15, 18 months before, 12 months before their Champions League final, they could see, we were showing them what's going on, their domains, they were talking to the domain leader of the predecessing Champions League final, so they could uh, catch a lot of experience. And then, of course, it went more and more in detail. And as you said before, it's uh, most important is the security part, which last year was a very, very delicate issue, but also the sporting part and, and, and the ticketing and uh, hospitality. And there was, uh, I think in Manchester, if I'm not wrong, there were about 6,000 VIP guests, you know, to be treated. And we built a, a small uh, village. And the year, the year after in, of Schalke, it was already, uh, I think, uh, 14,000 VIPs. So it has been increased steadily year by year. And it was an amazing uh, uh, task and, and efforts, you know, to organize this on, on top level with a top caterer. And uh, it was uh, the, the Austrian caterer, Doe and Co. And they were arriving with 18 extra long trucks, delivering all the things they needed just to, you know, to, 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 to take care about these 14,000 VIP guests. And uh, the, for me, the not funny, the... the Scaring thing was, you know, at midnight, the day on the on the final at midnight, this this village for fourteen thousand guests has been more or less destroyed. You know, it was it was demolished, and you had to do the same task the year after, and then it was again more more VIP guests, so always more and more and more, and this was was the challenge. And now, if you allow me, this was then at the right moment, obviously, a call from the Austrian league, and before settling down then in Switzerland. I was asked, and again, I was called, I didn't apply for it, I was called by the vice president of the Austrian Professional Football League to meet him and uh, the president at that time, this was a billionaire, he was even in Canada, he was there active with car parts producing Frank Stronach, he was the president of the league, and they invited me for a hearing, but I wasn't interested because I wanted to move to Switzerland at that time still. 
And after this hearing where I, I think three, four times I declined, I said, no, I'm going to Switzerland. And at the end, uh, they, they convinced me that it could make sense to take over the Austrian Professional Football League as a CEO, what I've been doing then for, for 10 years. So this is the next, next uh, chapter in the book. So um, Frank Stronach, the, the billionaire, and, and you actually mentioned also in your book that he was very, very convincing. For somebody that has never dealt with a billionaire, which is probably most of the people, what made him so convincing? Uh, it wasn't obviously him. It was more or less me because, you know, I was, I was relaxed. I had no idea what they, they wanted to discuss, to be honest. And then I said, you know, we need a new CEO in the Austrian League. I said, yeah, but Mr. Stroner, uh, you must not say Mr. Stroner, you must say Frank. I said, yeah, Frank, but I'm moving to Switzerland now. I'm, I'm dealing with Champions League. Yeah, you know, Gary, but we need a guy like you. And then I gave him two or three reasons why I'm not the guy. Because, you know, he made, sorry to say this, but he made some mistakes when he was also club president. And, you know, in dealing with people. And I told him exactly, you know, if you do this, what you have been doing with your coach, this is unacceptable for me. And then, you know, he was intervening. It's, it's a special story, but he is a president and as a billionaire, he was intervening when a player was suspended because he did something wrong. He was spitting on somebody. And of course, you know, in the background, the club presidents were talking and, and uh, giving calls to him. And then he started to intervene publicly. And I told him, Frank, if you ever would intervene when a player is being suspended, when I'm CEO in the Austrian League, I would kill you. Sorry, sorry, this wording. I would kill you. I would never allow this. So that's why I will never get in, in conflict with you. So that's why I'm going to Switzerland now. And, you know, with all these arguments, he said, no, Georg, we need a guy like you. So he was getting crazy. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I said, is, is this true? Is there a hidden camera? Is it, is it really true? So, of course. So then at the end, because I was so relaxed and I could tell him what I wanted to tell him because I, I was not relying on the job. In the other case, I would have probably been on my knees and say, yes, Mr. Stronach, yes, Mr. Stronach. So I was easy and I said, Frank, please apologize if I'm too rude, but I have to tell you this and that. And obviously this was, uh, was, was the right way. And for me, it was a, another priceless learning. You have to be authentic. You have to, to tell people if they're billionaires or not, what you're thinking, uh, what, what you're convinced of. You have to stick to your values and this was obviously the right way to deal with uh, with one of those billionaires that time. Another funny learning, actually, that I took out of your book was when you then were actually a CEO of the of the league, and then you had a meeting with him, and then you came like with a big binder with all kinds of things inside, and there uh, was another um, person who who told you like, "What are you doing with the binder?" And like, "Yeah, I brought all the topics," and like, he's like. You're never gonna get the time to get through all of that. Like, just focus on one thing. What's the most important thing, and and focus on that. Is this something that you learn out of that as well? Exactly, Ronnie. That's a very important part of my learning, and I experienced it with Frank Stronach, a billionaire. But I also experienced it when I visited, for example, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, a good friend of mine who was that time chairman of the European Club Association and also chairman of FC Bayern. I flew there. There was one topic we discussed. We agreed on whatever result. And then this was done. And I thought, because I learned this at UEFA, to be honest, with team marketing and all my experience was, you know, to have checklists. But going through checklists is 
let's say it's it's not for the top level of people you're dealing with. It's for the for the top management, operational. for the operational management, but not for the top guys who are uh, uh, responsible for strategies and 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 and. and uh, important decisions and this is really a very important learning for all listeners too if you have to deal with a very important topic just focus on this leave all the others aside and if you have uh, the chance you know for two minutes to discuss something with with the person you're going to meet just focus on the most important on the AAA topic and the others they are not so important so there can't be 14 or 20 topics with the same importance take the first and most important one discuss it agree on it and then it's done and then you can build up as a kind of foundation on this and you, next time you go for the next one and so on and this was as you said correctly it was a very very important learning and it's very fascinating so when you are actually preparing then you're picking out one thing you're like okay what's the most important or most pressing thing that we need to discuss do you have a strategy also on how to be most convincing then or how to prepare to be the best the best prepared as well yeah of course i mean what counts is, is arguments, of course. But then, you know, when you're arguing in favor of that topic, whatever you want to, to, to have decided, and then I lean back and then I let the opponent uh, tell his arguments. And then say, yeah, of course, you know, these are the basics, what you learn with the, uh, if you have a book, uh, the, the Harvard concept and things like that, you know, the negotiations. These, these are the basics in, 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 in management. But at the end of the day, it's also your personal approach, your emotion, your passion you bring into, into a matter. And once I, have, I had a meeting with the president of a club, he was very powerful. And there was really a big, uh, a big issue. It was not that, that, the, the amount was not that high, but the principle. And he said, you know, I will attack the Austrian league because this is not fine and fair. And in my opinion, the behavior of the league and from my side as a CEO was fair. And I was, I was really for one hour fighting for my for my solution and at the end of the day he said you know Garak or mr bangi we have two different uh, positions and that's why we have to have different opinions but what i'm really admiring is that you're fighting so hard for your position for defending the league's interest and and so this was a nice compliment to be honest from a person who is normally a, was a very very hard uh, and tough uh, negotiator and still when i'm meeting him he's always saying you know mr bangi when we drop when we put you somewhere in the desert without water you will be the one who will be surviving so these these are still after so many years uh, these are nice compliments yeah since this show is also about talking about like overcoming obstacles and especially in your Bundesliga career where you were the CEO, you started out after a month, basically you realized that the league is, is basically bankrupt. Then just a few years later, there was a big bet, betting scandal uh, inside the league. So all those obstacles, um, what tips could you give somebody to overcome obstacles that are in their way? Especially when it's something like in your case, that is not just like that you know it but basically the whole country knows it yeah of course it's sometimes it's really not not easy but uh i i've had the pleasure to rely on a good team and of course as a top guy you're responsible for recruiting your team so this is the first uh, the first job to be done but then when you have a team and for example with the batting scandal as you said I've had a kind of war room, you know, there was even, there were daily news on the bedding, on the, the main main news on TV and radio and so on. And we had more or less permanent meetings. There was the, the legal guy, there was the commercial guy, there was the PR guy, and there was another one and myself, and then we discussed. And what, what I always tried to, 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 
how can I say to to bring to bring the message in a very easily understandable way to the audience because what we were discussing was impossible to to convey but you know then I said I'm playing the role of the of the of the viewer in front of a TV how could I explain this from this legal perspective or from this uh, commercial perspective I have to say it in in some easily understandable words and this is what then was my learning to break it down you know and when you are in front of TV you always have maybe some 30 seconds or whatever the easier you're going to explain a very difficult topic the better it is for the audience and even if you are then how can I say somehow empath empathic you know that uh, you to try not to judge but to to create understanding uh, this, this was a very very uh, important learning and Everything what I've been doing in these 35 years was based on, on my values. You know, I have a value catalog. I Thanks God, I got from my family, from my parents. And uh, I'm that old-fashioned guy that I still go to church. I believe in the one high above us. And with this uh, value catalog, with my, with my faith, with my belief, I, I overcame all these obstacles, however, they, however difficult they have been. And this was another interesting learning. Sometimes you, you think this is impossible, this will not work. And at the end of the day, even when I was attacked, let's say uh, two weeks after I have started my job, because there was obviously a, a verbal agreement with my predecessor when it came to, you know, to, to a fund where money was distributed to the clubs, the, the president of a club said, you know, Georg, if you don't stick to this, and this was really an unfair deal, you know, he wanted to get 90% of, of the overall fund for one club out of 20 clubs. And then he said, you know, he, he was really threatening me. Like, Georg, I warn you, if you don't stick to this, I said, do you have it in written? No, no, it was just a verbal agreement. If you don't stick to this, I will sack you. You will be sacked within a few days, you will see. He said, okay, then feel free. Then there's nothing to do for me here because this is an unfair deal. And if you're threatening me now or not, I cannot accept this. So feel free to sack me but it took 10 years and then even then he wasn't able to sack me. So based on values and your, your uh, personal values and your value catalog, you can overcome every challenge and obstacle. And then also you had another international chapter, which was the head of the European football leagues. Uh, first of all, for those of, for many out there who are like, what, what is that? What is actually the European football leagues and, and what does it mean? Uh, it was in 2006, I think, I was founding member as a CEO of the Austin League. We were 13 visionaries or crazy guys, however you want to, to say. And we, we signed a constitution in London with the top five leagues and some others like the Austrians. And I was sure that time already that it makes sense to have a, a union of professional football leagues with the Premier League, with La Liga and smaller leagues and meanwhile now there are 37 leagues it's a union of leagues uh, they just pay a small part as a, as a fee and there is an office in switzerland and they are one of their main stakeholders meanwhile you know you have uefa they're responsible for 55 national associations like the austin fa the germans and so on then you have the european club association representing just the top clubs like bayern and, and some other medium clubs from all over europe then you have FIFPRO, which is the, the, the players' union, you know, representing the players. Uh, and then you have the, the European leagues. And these are the four stakeholders, which are meeting now uh, when, when uh, very important decisions have to be made, like uh, 
uh, revenue distribution of Champions League and things like that. So European leagues is playing a very important role in European football. And meanwhile, when I was a CEO there, we created a World Leagues Forum. So there are, I think, now about 60 leagues around the globe, which are under one umbrella acting at FIFA level, at the global level, when it comes to very important uh, topics in football. So this is, uh, in a nutshell, explained what the European leagues are. And they have an office in, in Nyon, in Switzerland, near, near Geneva, where also UEFA and the European Club Association has their offices. So you have short ways. You can meet for lunch, for dinner, discuss uh, behind the curtain things, and then you prepare it formally for, for the committees. Wow. So you, you were basically the general... general um, Second general secretary yeah for for five years yeah and um and now you are you're doing your own projects exactly i'm the ceo and the owner of the pangil football group and uh, i can tell you it's 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 it makes a lot of fun and it's a pleasure you know to use all the contacts and to do and to work for those projects and to work with those people i like and uh, there are mainly projects which are uh you know, uh, in relation with uh, sustainability, I've just had a meeting before when it comes to photovoltaic, you say it in English, photovoltaic on, on the roofs of the stadia, when it comes to uh, several topics. Uh, my dream is uh, to create a tree league, which means a kind of green league and a, a green shoe for the, not for the best scorer, but for this, for this football player who is able to attract and to motivate most of the followers to doing some challenges in saving, uh, you know, energy and, and saving CO2 and so on. So this this is my my direction now after so many years in football. I would like to stay in football, but in combination with uh, with sustainability sustainability topics. And this this really pleases me. That's very fascinating. Um, for some, really, I think, and also it's re it's really important for the planet and for the future that we're actually all going to when listening to your story and it's a it's an incredible story for somebody who is just starting out who or who is like i would love to work in the sports industry or i would love to work in in football in soccer what advice could you give to that person as you can read it everywhere you never should give up try it try it again don't try it only 10 times try it 100 times and if if you have this uh, resilience you need at the end of the day and this is where i'm convinced of if, if it's your way that you will work in football, then you will do it. If it's not, you can, you can try it for a thousand times, you will not make it. But again, in case you're really uh, fascinated of football, you can uh, apply as a volunteer for the World Cup, for example, in 26 or whatever. So there are always some small, you know, small niches where you can try it. And if you know someone, contact him, try to, to, to give you advice, as you said now. So if, if, if your, if your uh, way is determined to be a part in football, you will make it. Otherwise, you will find uh, any other uh, uh, challenges which will make you happy. And if it's sustainability or whatever, if you're going to be a teacher, I don't know. There will be so many nice jobs where, where good, good people are needed and uh, will be very easy. So. You said if you know someone, like oftentimes you start out with nobody, like also like yourself, and then you build your network. How important is networking for you? To be honest, I was not really thinking about it. And when I started, as you, as you said it, uh, I, I've never had a career plan. Nowadays, you have to have a career plan. You're going to study and then you're doing this and that. 
And I, I was really every single day, I was just happy in what I was doing. And even it was a very uh, boring or easy job. You know, sometimes you have to do this, but I was happy. I was smiling. I was doing my job. And, you know, once there will be the opportunity, there will be an, an open door or an open window. And then, of course, you have to, to use this, this uh, chance. You have to go through if you're hesitating, if you don't know yes or no or maybe. So you sometimes when you have the, 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 the and there are just not so many opportunities, you have to be brave. You have to say, okay, I'll try it out. If it works, fine. And if I fail, that that's normal. You will stand up and you will try it again. So, very easy. You've seen a lot of changes in in football, in the world of football globally. Yeah. Where do you see that football is heading? Also now, since Gianni Infantino is in office, you actually met him when he was still at the UEFA, the, the legal guy, so to say, and you were also working there. Um, how do you think that he's going to steer the future of football forward? As you said, I know Johnny very well, and I met him uh, also recently at the FIFA Congress or wherever. And uh, to be honest, uh, in Europe, people are sometimes having a very, very um, narrow-minded view. But we must not forget that there are 211 uh, national associations being FIFA members, and Europe is just uh, consisting of 55. And uh, Gianni is European. He knows, of course, he knows how European football works, but he also knows what the needs are in global football. And uh, if this is now the, the, the additional programs he's doing, he was organizing a, a, a unique World Cup, of course, with the, with the host in Qatar. The next one will be even more promising and there will be more, more uh, net uh, revenues of, of obviously 10, 11 billion. He will again uh, reinvest in football. He's doing uh, social program uh, projects, uh, football for school and, and whatever. So Johnny is doing a good job and the Europeans have to, let's say, to widen their view because they are just seeing themselves. We have Champions League, we are Europe. Okay, nice. Where probably football started a hundred and I don't know twenty years ago, but I think the Europeans have to widen again. As I said, the horizon and uh, from this perspective, Gian Infantino is doing a good job. And if you and me, if we were presidents of uh, of an association somewhere in in, in Africa, and he, and Johnny is doubling or tripling our income, what we can reinvest in football, we wouldn't have any reason to have any doubts in the FIFA president because he's over delivering. And now there are 48 uh, teams in the World Cup, which are, in my humble opinion, too many. But according to those who have the chance now to be qualified for 26 for the World Cup, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big step. But again, 48 teams out of 200, it's nearly 25% which are qualified for the World Cup. You can have uh, the one perspective when you say it's too, too many, or you could say, no, it's fine. We should be open for, for many other teams from all, all the six confederations. And this is the politics, what, what John is doing. And obviously, for the majority of, of uh, the national associations, again, mostly outside of Europe, he's doing a, a great job. And from his perspective, if, if I'm asked to judge, I just can uh, underline that John is doing a good job. Again, the Europeans are having a, probably a different view, but uh, it's their right. Georg, this has been a fascinating conversation with you. If somebody is inspired, if somebody is like, I would love to know more, I would love to work with you, how can they find you? 
Ah, with Pangil Football Group, you will find me uh, my website. You will find me in my in the, in the net, and it will be my pleasure, really my pleasure, to answer every single inquiry, whatever is needed uh, personally. And uh, yeah, just uh, can invite uh, people to believe in sports in general, not only in soccer and football, and uh, to become part of this fascinating world. Beautiful. Any last 30-second final thought that you want to share? Ronnie, it was my pleasure. I'm grateful for the invitation. And I do hope that you, of course, you could, but I could uh, convey the one or the other interesting message for your viewers and for the audience. Thank you so much. I will, I'm, I'm privileged to have you have had you on the show. And so one more time, give it up. Georg Pange. Woo! Thank you so much. Thank you for sticking with us until the end. To make this content even more valuable for you, please leave a comment below and share your thoughts and also share this video with somebody you care about who absolutely needs to see this. Thank you very much. Have an outstanding day and see you next time.